Proverbs 1, 20 to 31. Wisdom shouts in the streets. She cries out in the public square. She calls to the crowds along the main street, to those gathered in front of the city gate. How long, you simpletons, will you insist on being simple-minded? How long will you mockers relish your mocking? How long will you fools hate knowledge? Come and listen to my counsel. I'll share my heart with you and make you wise. I called you so often, but you wouldn't come. I reached out to you, but you paid no attention. You ignored my advice and rejected the correction I offered. So I will laugh when you are in trouble. I will mock you when disaster overtakes you. When calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster engulfs you like a cyclone, and anguish and distress overwhelm you. When they cry for help, I will not answer. Though they anxiously search for me, they will not find me. For they, hate, for they hated knowledge and chose not to fear the Lord. They rejected my advice and paid no attention when I corrected them. Therefore, they must eat the bitter fruit of living their own way, choking on their own schemes. Amen. Good job, Gracie. And I invite you to keep your Bible open. We're just going to go through this passage verse by verse and try to hear the voice of God. So in this passage of Scripture, wisdom is spoken of as a person. And so wisdom is personified. And what we need to learn today is that this voice of wisdom is the voice of God. When wisdom speaks, God speaks. The authority of wisdom is the authority of God. The invitation of wisdom is really the invitation of God. The warning of wisdom is the warning of God. To neglect wisdom is to neglect God. To honor wisdom is to honor God. The blessings of wisdom are the blessings of God. And so it is wisdom that is speaking to you today, and it is God who is speaking to you today. So listen up. You know, I don't fly often, but one of my greatest fears is having the plane take off without me. You know, I can see uh, O.J. Simpson running through the airport and all that. In fact, a few years back before Mary and I flew to Arizona, I had a dream And in this dream, I was in a hurry because I wanted to make sure I was there in plenty of time. And I left early, got to the airport, you know, carrying all the luggage, uh, got the bags checked, secured the ticket, looked at the clock. We had plenty of time. I thought, after all this hassle, I'm going to relax. And so we bought a cup of coffee and a newspaper, sat down there at the gate, at the waiting room, and read the newspaper and drank our coffee. After a while, remember, this is just a dream. Uh, I looked around, and the waiting room was empty. And I thought to myself, where did everybody go? And I, you know, went over and asked the man. I said, excuse me, sir, when are you going to call this flight? And he said, well, I've already called it. And I said, well, when's it going to leave? He said, it's already left. And I thought to myself, that is the dumbest thing a person could ever do, would be to sit at the gate, reading a newspaper, drinking coffee, while the airplane takes off, oblivious to that final call. Say, Dave, that's right. That is really dumb. That's pretty foolish. There's something more foolish than that, and that would be for you to sit here in this service today at the very gate of glory and have the last flight to heaven take off without you. Now, thank the Lord, that was just a dream, but one of these days, listen now, 
One of these days, God is going to issue his final call to you. There is a deadline, I think, in front of everyone. There is a final call. There is a last call. And we read about that here, I think, in Proverbs chapter 1 that Gracie just read. And I hope you have your Bible open because we're going to go through this. First of all, I want you to notice the invitation of wisdom. Wisdom here is giving an invitation, calling to people. I mean, look at verse 20, and you're going to see that wisdom's invitation is a public uh, invitation. Verse 20, wisdom calls aloud in the street. She raises her voice in the public square. Now, what does that tell us? I think it tells us that the invitation of wisdom, it's a public invitation. It's not just to a few chosen ones. God loves all people, and wisdom speaks to all people, and the voice of the Bible is, whosoever will may come. It's a public invitation, and I tell you, that gives me great joy today. You know, the church of Jesus Christ, it's not some secret society with secret rites and secret rituals and secret initiations. Jesus said, I've done nothing in secret. If it's good, it ought to be public. It ought to be for everyone. And I'm so grateful the Lord loves the whole world, and I'm glad the invitation of wisdom. It's a public invitation. You know what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 27? He says, what I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And whatever you hear in the ear, preach it up on the housetops. That is, let the whole world know that Jesus saves. And the invitation of wisdom, it's a public invitation. By the way, are you making a public? You ought to. You ought to make it public. I mean, we hear people say, keep the faith. Well, Calvary, not only should you keep it, you ought to give it away. Wisdom's invitation, it's a public invitation. It's also, what I want to say, a pressing invitation. Look at verse 21. Listen to this. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. In the gateways of the city, she makes her speech. Wow. She's crying. That is wisdom. It's not some lackadaisical thing. You know, it's not a kind of a take it or leave it attitude. You know, I'm okay, you're okay type thing. No. Wisdom is speaking here in a pressing way. She's speaking here with a tear in her eye. There's a sense of urgency here, a sense of emergency. Wisdom is, is pressing her invitation. She cries out in the streets. She's lifting up her voice. She's crying. Some people don't like to go to a church where there's a public invitation. Oh, that's Baptist or whatever, you know. They say, I just don't believe in urging people to get right with God. Well, I want to tell you that I do. And the Apostle Paul says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. 
God's public invitation is also a pressing invitation. Wisdom, she cries out. And I'm so glad that when Adam was in the Garden of Eden, that God came seeking Adam with a tear in his voice. And what did he say? He said, Adam, where are you? As if God didn't know where he was. He wanted Adam to know where Adam was. Adam, where are you? It wasn't a voice of detection like, oh, I got you, Adam. No, it was the voice of a broken-hearted God. That's the kind of God that we have. Wisdom in, it's wisdom's invitation, it's not only public, it's not only pressing, it's a patient invitation. Look at verse 22. How long will you simple ones love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? You see, wisdom is calling. She's stretching forth her hands, and I think there are three groups of people who seem to be just, you know, oblivious to her cries. The simple, some versions say the scorners, we'll say the mockers, and the fool. Who are the simple? The word simple comes from a root word, which means open. You know, he's just open to everything, you know. Everybody's right, you know. He's easily led. It's You know, he's what we would call today gullible. He doesn't stop and really think things through. I suppose many folks in America could be described as simple. They never stop to really think about the great issues of life. They never stop to think, and they don't say, hey, hey, does this honor God, or does this dishonor God, or would God bless this, or could God smile at this? They just don't think. They don't think serious thoughts. To them, life is a a party. It's just one big party. Simple, it means the person who doesn't have the ability to see the future. A supporting proverb here is from Proverbs 22, verse 3. It says, a prudent man sees danger and takes refuge. But the simple, the simple keep going and suffer for it. One version says, and are punished for it. See, they never stop to think that there's really a death to die. They don't think about that. They never think that there's a judgment actually to face, that it's going to happen, whether you believe it or not. They don't think about that. They don't think that there's a real hell. They just don't think about it. The simple ones do not think about that. They don't think that there's an actual real heaven. The prudent man foresees the danger and he takes refuge, but the simple ones, they pass on, they keep going, and then they suffer for it. The simple are just careless people. But let's go on. After a while, the simple become cynical, don't they? The Bible calls these people mockers, Jesus haters. They laugh at people who believe the Bible. They mock us, scorners. Now, who is a scorner? A scorner is no longer a simple person. He is a person who has decided that he wants to mock holy things. He wants to laugh at holy things. He wants to sneer at holy things. Kind of curls up his lip, sticks out his tongue, shoots out his tongue at holy things. He's a scorner. He's a mocker. He delights in his scorning. Gives him great joy, really, to scorn holy things. 
May I tell you that God loves the scorner? He loves him. God's heart goes out to the scorner, and wisdom calls out to the scorner who's a cynic. I think scorners, you know, cynics are terrible things to be around. A cynic knows the price of everything, but the value of nothing. What the Bible says doesn't mean a whole lot to the scorner, to the mocker. The church doesn't mean a whole lot to the mocker. You know, it's just a bunch of hypocrites anyway, right? But notice the progression. First the careless, and then all of a sudden the cynical, and then finally it's the callous. And the callous is labeled as a fool. Here's the man the Bible calls a fool. A fool who hates knowledge. I mean, when you speak to him, there's like a steel curtain between you and him. And he will not hear the words of God. He's literally deaf to this book. Death. He hates this book. And he hates the things of God. Now, when the Bible calls him a fool, that doesn't mean he has a low IQ. That doesn't mean he's lacking in moral equipment. It means that he has a disposition, a chosen lifestyle. And the Bible calls that man a fool. And how did he get to be a fool? Verse 22 again. How long will you simple ones, how long you simple ones, will you love simplicity? Just underscore that word love. And then, and the mockers delight in their mocking. Underscore the word delight. And then fools hate knowledge. Underscore the word hate. Folks, when you begin to love what you ought to hate, and when you begin to delight in what you ought to shun, soon you will begin to hate what you ought to love. I mean, a man who begins to love simplicity will soon begin to hate knowledge and his heart will get harder and harder. But while his heart, while hearts are getting harder and harder, wisdom is there. Wisdom is right there. Tears streaming down her cheeks. Wisdom is there with emotion in her voice. Wisdom is there with her hands stretched out. How long, how long, how long will you love simplicity? How long are you going to delight in mocking? How long will you hate knowledge? Thank God for the patience of a great God. Patiently, earnestly, tenderly. We're going to have, like at uh, Pastor Ted's wife's funeral, Alice played at her own funeral. My mom is going to sing at her own funeral. She's going to sing. We have a recording of her singing earnestly, Tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling for you and calling for me. Come home. So patiently, earnestly, tenderly, wisdom is calling. Wisdom's invitation. It's public. It's pressing. Wisdom is crying here. And it's a patient invitation. God still loves you. But I want you to notice not only wisdom's invitation, I want you to Understand wisdom's indoctrination. If you want wisdom, you can have it. And God will indoctrinate you with his wisdom if you get yourself in a place where you can actually hear God speak to you. Look at verse 23. 
It says, if you, if you had responded to my rebuke, I would have poured out my heart to you and made my thoughts known to you. Here's God's challenge. Now, do you want to know how to know wisdom? Here are three steps. Number one, I want to call it the repentance of the sinner. It says that you should turn. That's what repenting means, to turn. Turn at my reproof. Repent means to turn around. It means to change your mind. In Isaiah 55, it says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and to his God, and he will have mercy on him and will abundantly pardon. If we forsake our ways and our thoughts, then we will have God's thoughts and we'll have God's wisdom. But there's got to be this point. There's got to be this turning. There's got to be this repentance. I mean, if you don't prepare your heart for the word, it's just like pouring water over a rock. You're not going to get it. There's got to be this repentance of the sinner so your heart can be soft to soak in the word and to make Jesus Lord in your life. Then there will be this revelation of the spirit. Did you see that? In verse 23, if you had responded to my word, I would have poured out my heart to you and made my thoughts known to you. Some versions say, and made my word known to you. Listen, folks, this book was written by God. It's given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. All scriptures, God breathed. Yeah, he used human beings to write it, but it's all inspired by God. What God wanted in this book is in this book. I mean, we could, we could have a huge defense for the inspiration of the, Holy, uh, the Bible here and talk about predictive prophecy and all that stuff, but I don't have time. He is the author, and you will never understand this book until God pours his spirit upon you, until you encounter Jesus and you encounter his spirit. The Bible says the natural man receives not the things of the spirit of God, neither can he know them, for they're spiritually discerned. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the Holy Spirit has to turn the lights on in your sin-darkened soul. So when there's this repentance of the sinner, then immediately and conjointly there's going to be this revelation of the spirit of God. Oh, you can read the Bible, you can get the facts, you can... Get all the dates, and you can memorize the kings of Israel, and you can know the names of the 12 apostles, but you will never know, you will never know the wisdom of this book, the truth of this book, until God, the Holy Spirit, pours himself out upon you. So first, repentance, and then we got revelation, and then that's followed by what I want to call, I want to call it the reliability of the scripture. Look again at verse 23. At the end it says, and I've made my thoughts known to you, my words known to you. What did Jesus say in Matthew 4, 4? Man shall not live on bread alone. He was quoting Deuteronomy. But by every word, word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You want wisdom? Calvary, this is God's wisdom book. When there is the repentance of the sinner, there's going to be the revelation of the Spirit, and there will be in your hand the reliability of the Scriptures. I mean, just turn the page to Proverbs 2, 6 and 7. Listen to what it says. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth 
Come knowledge and understanding. He holds victory in store for the upright. He's a shield to those whose walk is blameless. First is the invitation of the Spirit. And along with the invitation of the Spirit is the indoctrination of the Spirit for where God calls, God enables. Now the third thing that I want you to see, not only wisdom's invitation and not only wisdom's indoctrination, but I want you to see wisdom's indignation. When God's majesty and when his holiness is insulted, he may become indignant. Nahum 1.6, it asks the question, who can stand before his indignation? The answer is no one. It's obvious, no one. Hebrews 10, let's go to the New Testament. Verse 27 speaks of a fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. Why would God become indignant? Look at verses 24 and 25 of Proverbs 1. But since you rejected me when I called and gave no heed when I stretched out my hand, since you ignored all my advice and would not accept my rebuke. Here's why. Because the call of wisdom, the invitation of wisdom, that public invitation, that pressing invitation, that patient invitation is time and time and time again just swept aside. And there comes a time when invitation becomes indignation. I've used this illustration a lot. When you hear the gospel and you don't accept it, it's like, there's a little, little bit of a callus that gets over your heart. And then you, you, you hear the gospel again, you don't, you, don't, uh, you don't repent and you don't turn to Christ. And, and pretty soon there's this big fat callus over your heart. And I'm going to say this, it's almost like blasphemy, but you couldn't respond to God if, even if you wanted to. Because after a while, God will harden your heart just like he did Pharaoh's. And it's called the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And it turns into indignation. Let me say something here. You can refuse the call of God. You can do that. You know, I mean, does God want some people saved and, and not others? Does, does God pick, you know, some people to go to heaven? Does he pick some people to go to hell? I mean, some say Jesus just died for the elect. You know, he only died for a certain few. And there are a certain, those certain people are destined to be saved. And there are certain people that are destined to be lost. And if you're one of those destined to be saved, you're going to be saved no matter what. And if you're destined to be lost, you're going to be lost no matter what. And they call that limited atonement and irresistible grace. And that is he died for a certain few, but when he calls those, but when he calls, those few will come. I mean, it's absolutely irresistible. You can't help yourself. Now, if he doesn't call you, you can't come. And therefore, some are born to go to heaven, and some are actually born to go to hell. Don't you believe that? The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The call of God is not an irresistible call. People resist the grace of God all the time. Read Acts chapter 7. Verse 24. But since you rejected me when I called... And no one gave heed when I stretched out my hand. God calls. 
He wants everybody to be saved. Christ is the true light that gives light to every man that cometh into the world. He's the propitiation, you know, the, the, the atonement for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. And I am infinitely, I'm everlastingly glad that I can stand before you and say, whosoever will may come. God loves you. Jesus died for you. And you can be saved today. But not only that, you can choose him now. And you can refuse him now. I see Jesus on the Mount of Olives. We just got to go there last April. And he's looking down over the city, the city of Jerusalem. And in Matthew 23, he tells us about this, these, these great salty tears rolling down his cheeks, and his hands are just outstretched saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you know, God's chosen people. Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered your children together, even as a hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing. Therefore, your house is left desolate. I tell you today, he stretches out his hands to you and he calls you today and he invites you today on this last Sunday of the year and you can choose him or you can refuse him. But one day, one day, the invitation, it will turn into indignation. Mark my words. Look at verse 26. It says, in turn, I in turn will laugh at your disaster. I will mock when calamity overtakes you. Wow. If you mock wisdom, wisdom's going to mock you. Listen, whatsoever you sow, that you shall also reap. It's a kingdom principle. God is not mocked. And then look at verse 27. When calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you. That word calamity, sometimes it's desolation in some translations. Desolation, it's, I think that's one of the saddest words in the Bible. It means to be left alone. The time may come when you could be so oblivious to God's call that you could be sitting there in the waiting room at the gate and the airplane is just going to take off without you and no one is going to speak to you and no one's going to tap you on the shoulder. It's over. The last call has been issued and there'll be no other call. You're desolate. You're alone. You're left behind. Jesus said two will be in the field. One will be taken. The other one will be left. He said, behold, your house is left Unto you desolate. No longer will God's voice be heard. No longer will God's hands be outstretched. You say, will that ever happen? Yes. God said in Genesis 6-3, my spirit will not always strive with man. He drowned the whole world one time. Does that mean he doesn't love? Of course not. I want to tell you that God loves you. I want to tell you that God is patient. But one day, 
you might say no too many times to God. And no longer will he stretch out his hands. And no longer will he lift up his voice. Let's keep going in verse 27. It says, when calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, like a cyclone, like a tornado. Remember how many years it has Katrina been now? Long time, this hurricane, a tornado like touching down, you know, whirling and churning and biting and blasting and devastating. I mean, who can argue with a tornado? The simple will be swept away. The scorners will be swept away, and the fool will be swept away. Look at verses 28 to 30. Then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but they will not find me. Since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, since they would not accept my advice and spurned my rebuke. There's coming a time when Lost sinners are going to stand before the judgment bar of God. Judgment day is coming. And they're going to cry out, oh God, have mercy on me. And it'll be too late. If you want mercy, you can have it. If you want forgiveness, you can have it. If you want grace, you can have it. But now is the day of grace. Now is the day of forgiveness. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. Wisdom stretches forth her hands. Wisdom lifts up her voice. Wisdom calls in the public places. Wisdom says, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon you. Wisdom says, I'm going to open up my word to you. If you will repent, I will. But one of these days, God is going to issue his final call to you. And one of these days, he's going to cry his last tear. And one of these days, the last invitation will be given to you. And invitation will eventually turn to indignation. Well, you say, well, I don't see how a God of love can do that. Like I said before, he drowned the whole world one time. Have you ever read the book of Revelation? Look at verse 31, last verse, and then we're going to be done. They will eat the fruit, the, the fruit of their ways. Did you get that? And will be filled with the fruit of their schemes. In some way, I don't want to say, don't blame God. Don't you do that. No. God doesn't do it, you do it. You do it to yourself. If this happens to you, it will not be because you could not be saved. It will be because you would not be saved and the fruit that you will eat will be from the trees that you've planted. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. But listen, I want to say, my, how God loves you. Jesus died in agony and in blood to save, and there is wisdom's invitation, and wisdom stretches forth her hands, and wisdom lifts up her voice, and wisdom pleads and, and says, come to me. Wisdom's indoctrination. I'm going to pour out my spirit upon you. I'm going to just open up my word to you. 
You're going to know the things of God, but then there's also wisdom's indignation. And one of these days, you might find yourself in a church. You might find yourself in the very waiting room of the gate of glory, and the last plane to heaven is going to leave. It's going to be gone. You're going to be left behind. You missed God's final call. Do you know the Lord? Are you absolutely certain that if you died right now, you'd go to heaven? Are your sins, are you sure your sins are forgiven? Now, if you want to be saved, you may be saved by receiving Christ. I'm going to pray. Lord, I thank you that you care enough to call us and confront us and challenge us and comfort us all at the same time. Father, I pray now that many in this place, many would say a yes to you in their hearts. And I bind the powers of darkness right now. And in the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would open up hearts that they might receive your offer of mercy in Jesus' precious name. And Lord, as we express our love to you in the offering, Lord, I pray that we would uh, offer our lives to you, Lord. Maybe there's somebody here that just needs to, to make a, a public identification with you. Lord, I pray that they would do that. Lord, I know this is the last Sunday of the year, and I know for some it could be uh, your final call to them. Father, I pray that you would do the work that only you can do. So we commit uh, this time to you, this time of commitment and this time of offering that we would offer more than money, but we would offer our lives again to you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, and while the offering is taken, we're gonna sing uh, 467, and you know, I can't help, you know, after preaching a sermon like that, I can't help but give an invitation. You know, it'd be foolish of me not to, wouldn't it? It's like, hey, why don't you practice what you preach and what the Bible says? You know, wisdom is crying out. So she's crying out. Jesus is our wisdom, you know. He's crying out. And maybe there's somebody here today that just wants to make a public confession. And maybe you just want to come up and, and just stand up here with me uh, during the singing of this hymn. And then I'm going to pray a prayer of of commitment and of salvation and you can be seated and then I'm going to have my mom give the benediction so you come you want it's your choice God I just thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit and the truth of your word and just your love Lord that draws us to yourself Lord we know our I just thank you for these responses, Lord, and 
Um, maybe just in your heart you could say something like this, you know, God, I am sorry, and I, I know I've disobeyed your commandments. I know you haven't been first in my life. I know I haven't loved you with all my heart and all my soul, and I haven't loved my neighbor as myself, but I want to. But God, I thank you that you made a way for me to be right with you, that you took all the punishment that my sins deserve. Jesus, you came and you were born and you put on skin. You lived the life that we cannot live. You died the death that we cannot die. And so instead of trusting in our own goodness, what we think it is, we trust in you and what you've done for us. We just thank you, Lord, for your plan of salvation. And Lord, we just say, please, come into my life. Please, Lord, I receive you. Uh, your word says he came to his own, his own received him not, but to those who received him, to those who believed on your name, you gave the right to become children of God. And God, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for new commitments, Lord. Thank you for public invitations and, and public responses. And Lord, I pray that you'd seal everyone here that's standing before you and before their church family. Lord, that you would seal them with your Holy Spirit. Give them a hunger, God, for your word and a desire in their own heart to want to follow you. And when we mess up, Lord, we just pray that we would quickly come back to you for forgiveness and allow you to pull us back on the path with your staff of grace. So, Lord, we commit our lives to you and to the word of your grace that's able to build us up in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And I want you to listen to my mother for 16 seconds. Turn it up loud. If I can't hear it, we're going to hear it again. It's my mom. Okay, here you go, Mom. I'm Irene Mata, and I love the Lord with all my heart. And I hope that all of you do, too, because that's the most important thing in life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen?